Andrew Hawkins, thank you for joining us. It is currently 11.28 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Streetlights are on, which means it's past my bedtime, but it's all good. We just finished watching the 49ers destroy the Cowboys, the beatdown in the Bay, 42-10 to 10 on Sunday Night Football. And when I say destroy, I mean we almost got a full quarter of Sam Darnold versus Cooper Rush, so that's where we are. Before we dive in, though, let's break this one down. What's your reaction? Is San Francisco that good, or have the Cowboys been overrated this whole time? I think it's probably a mix of the two. I think the uh, San Francisco 49ers are very, very talented. And the reason why they are kind of a cut above the rest of everyone else is because they have talented players, and they are clearly at an advantage in every game from a coaching perspective. And when you look at NFL football, as the seasons progress— Yes, the teams start to filter out. This team that we thought was great is no longer that. This team we thought was decent is better than what we thought. Um, the cream that rises to the, to the top are those teams that have both execution on the field and off the field. And when you watch the Cowboys and 49ers game, the players didn't play to the level of expectation for the Cowboys, but also it was so very clear that they were outmatched from a coaching perspective. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is that you know, the 49ers are going to be one to reckon with as, as long as Kyle Shanahan and his staff are executing at the level that they were on Monday night. Another NFL Sunday is in the books. On paper, Cowboys-Niners look like it'd be a thriller. But in the end, San Francisco dominated from start to finish. In Denver, the Jets defended the honor of offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett as Gang Green got revenge on Sean Payton. And things are quickly getting ugly in New England, where it feels like we may be reaching the end for Bill Belichick. Meanwhile, down in the Steel City, the Ravens game ended sadder than an episode of The Wire, as turnovers doomed Baltimore in the fourth quarter. So today, Andrew Hawkins gives us the spark notes for week five in the NFL. I'm David Dennis Jr. It's Monday, October 9th. This is ESPN Daily. All right, so there's so many places we can go to look at this one. There was Christian McCaffrey in the running game. They just wore down that Cowboys defense that had been sort of dominating a lot of teams all season. Fred Warner and that 49ers defense shut down Dallas the entire game. Dallas seems to not have any answer for this 49ers defense going back a few years. Micah Parsons just getting hit, shot after shot from Trent Williams and company. But I want to look at Brock Purdy. I mean, you know, we always talk about the Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick of the draft, but he's more than just, you know, overshooting that expectation. He threw for 252 yards and four touchdowns. He's yet to lose a game when he's made it through healthy. What is he doing here? He's leaning into what he's great at, which is processing and decision-making. You know, when you watch him play, and even in that game, it's like what you want from Dak that Brock Purdy is showing. He's showing confidence in the plays that are there where the opportunities are. He's taking advantage of them. He is not letting anything on his side uh, be the reason that his team is put at a deficit. And when you play with that amount of confidence, the game plan is impeccable. And I think that's why Shanahan has such confidence in him to, you know, bet the farm on all things Brock Purdy because he understands this offense and can operate it. And it really does play perfectly in his skill set, which again is processing, decision-making, and anticipation. That's probably the really, really big point is that he knows where the big plays are even before they're happening. And with the timing of this offense and how important it is, 
He's just executing it at a different level. And even I've seen other quarterbacks in this same offense execute it. Yeah, he's doing this against a Cowboys defense than when the season started. I mean, they shut down the Giants and looked like a team that was talking about one of the greatest defense we'll ever see. And, you know, there's a lot of Tom Brady sort of comparisons with the Brock Purdy stuff. I'm not going to call the guy Tom Brady yet. But the question is, what is his actual ceiling like? What are we looking at here with Brock Purdy? I think this offense has had a history of making bad quarterbacks look decent, decent quarterbacks look good, good quarterbacks look great, and great quarterbacks look like MVP caliber players. The way that Brock Purdy is playing, he is on an MVP level at the moment. Now, can he sustain that? That's to, you know, remains to be seen. But again, when you look around the league and you just watch quarterbacks and what they're giving and the opportunities that are on the field, there is nobody executing at a higher clip than Brock Purdy. And the quarterbacks who are playing the best are the quarterbacks who have coaches that are putting them in advantageous situations. If you watch that game plan and how what the 49ers use in pre-stat motion to spread that front seven out for you know linebackers and safeties to start chasing motion, and it left those holes in the middle of the field for George Kittle to eat. Again, it was just so very clear that Shanahan and his staff had the Cowboys and their staff's number from the very start of the game all the way to the conclusion. So you mentioned George Kittle, and he caught a career-high three touchdowns, including one off that crazy trick play, and he's just one of many weapons out there. How do you slow down the offense that could be this diverse at any time? You can't, uh, and, that, and that, I think that's the beauty of it. This is a running offense, right? So, yes, we'll see all the highlights of um, George Kittle, and even, like, we've seen this in other years with Shanahan. You know, they throw the ball down the field, but it is a running offense, no mistake. And, yes, it's been more pronounced because Christian McCaffrey is there, but even just look at the production of Christian McCaffrey since he was thrusted back into this offense. It is very similar to the Miami Dolphins. Obviously, it's different because their playmakers are in different places. But again, what Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, very much the same way, are really, really good at is they are great at tailoring this foundation of their offense to where their playmakers are. So when you talk about George Kittle, they're going to put him in certain situations, and it's going to play to the best of his abilities. When you see what they do with Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, that's the Another important aspect to what we're seeing from Brock Purdy is that this isn't all on his shoulders. In fact, most of it isn't on his shoulders. And so what you're just seeing is this, again, after years in this offense, this place is just gelling. There is chemistry. And you know, I could tell that they were just very, very much up for this game against the Dallas Cowboys. And again, back to George Kittle. I want to digress a little bit here. Today, I just learned that there was a thing called National Tight End Day, which I, I hope is football related. <laughs> Did you know this? And is there a National Wide Receiver Day? Do you know anything about this? You know what? I I, I am very familiar with National Tight End Day. Um, there is not a National Receiver Day. Even if there was, people wouldn't care as much. Somehow the tight ends have hijacked the uh, uh, attention that the wide receivers have fought generations for. And I don't like it because they're starting to be replaced a little bit as the, as the, the premier pass catchers in the NFL offenses. Uh, look. You guys start bringing Taylor Swift out to the games. We get some wide receiver days out there, I think. <laughs> but you know what? Every day is National Wide Receiver Day in my heart, to be honest. There you go. So back to the game. This stat really shocked me. So in the first quarter of the game, the 49ers had more first downs on offense, eight, than the Cowboys had plays, seven, or yards, six. Their defense stifled everything Dak and company wanted to do. What did you see out there from that 49ers defense? And just equally as important, what did you see that the Cowboys' offense was not able to do? 
Cowboys offense just looked confused. My question with Dak was always just in these critical moments in these big games, how is your decision-making? You know, I think in the previous games that they lost to the San Francisco 49ers in the playoffs, there were a number of plays uh, that were negative on Dak's part that shouldn't have been there for the, the tenure he is as a player, um, for his ability. They were decision-making things that he should know better at. And when you watch Monday, it was more of the same, right? We heard Dak Prescott in the press conference talking about, you know, he's, he's pissed off and he was he was ready. I don't I don't really particularly care to hear about that. I want to see it. I want to see your decision-making. I want to see you go out there, have commanded the offense. What they do with this West Coast dink and dunk that McCarthy has implemented has helped Dak kind of lower the, you know, the turnovers. It's simplified it. They've picked their shots. But that only works when their defense is clicking. And we already talked about how the San Francisco 49ers offense was operating at such a high cylinder. So now it put this offense in a place where they were battling back and trying to keep up. And they just couldn't do so, especially with that 49er defense playing the way they were. Again, another phase of the of this game that it was very clear the 49ers had the Dallas Cowboys number. So the question I asked you about Brock Purdy and his ceiling, I guess my question is how far and how much faith do you have in Dak? And how far can he sort of carry this Cowboys team if the defense does not do what they're supposed to do? It's tough. It's tough. When I look at this Dallas Cowboys team and I, do I say, hey, this they're in a better situation than they were in last year? I don't think so, because as Jerry Jones alluded to, the Super Bowl um, for any NFC team is going to go through San Francisco. And that's, you know, we saw firsthand display face to face what that situation looks like and called for. Right. It didn't feel like Dak just had a bad game or the offense just had a day or the defense just wasn't playing their best. They were an outmatched football team where their quarterback um, did not put them in the best opportunity for wins. You know, it's one thing to play bad. It's one thing to not, you know, uh, create the plays that put your, your your team at a deficit. And it's a whole other thing for you not to feel like, you know, as long as your quarterback is out there, he can make up for any of those blind spots. Um, and that's what it felt like. It didn't feel like an asset to the to, to the Dallas Cowboys. And that was a lot of perspectives, but especially at the quarterback position. Yeah, scary hours out here for the Cowboys team that looked unbeatable after that first week. Up next, two teams in the AFC East who had two very different Sundays. Picture this. You arrive at your hotel. You have an important online meeting lined up with clients from all across the country. You have your laptop open, ready to begin, and the Wi-Fi is so terrible you can't even connect. These type of stressful situations happen all the time, but they don't have to. When you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you have access to their free high-speed Wi-Fi. So you can take care of those critical emails, join your meetings on time, and even unwind by streaming your favorite shows without having to worry. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right, Hawk, I want to get your thoughts on Jets Broncos, a.k.a. the Nathaniel Hackett Bowl, the Natty Hack Bowl. We were anticipating a lot of drama with this one. Remember, over the summer, Broncos head coach Sean Payton called Hackett one of the worst coaches of all time, essentially, referring to Hackett's short stint as head coach with Denver that season. But Sunday... Hackett had the last laugh. 
Jets won 31-21, and we heard from the Jets pregame that they were taking this game personally. So when it comes to beef in the NFL, this is one of the spiciest meatballs we've seen in a while. Hawk, as a player, how much do you let this sort of thing motivate you as much as it motivate the Jets? You know, in the NFL, it's 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 hard to find motivation sometimes, man. I'm I'm going to be honest with you because you go out there not only every game, every practice. Like people think practice isn't a big deal, but the NFL players, I mean, it literally is the the difference in your contract, your playing time, and all these things. Uh, come into play. So when you look at a situation like Nathaniel Hackett and Sean Payton and the the war of words that happened in the offseason, yes, that is something you draw on because every week you need something that can lift you beyond the mundane of just already having to go compete. You're already giving your all. So is there anything that can just lift me a little bit to say, okay, here's the game within the game? And I think that's what that provided for this New York Jets football team. All right. So it, it's just you and me here. I'm not going to tell anybody. <laughs> Is there a moment in your career that you remember that somebody put something on the bulletin board that you went out there and tore them up based on something that they said? Absolutely. There was a game in 2012 when I was with the Bengals. We were playing against the New York Giants. And this is, I think, A.J. Green's second year. It was my second year. And we were a very young receiving core. It was A.J. Green, myself, Marvin Jones, Muhammad Sanu, Andy Dalton was in his second year. And coming into that week, the Giants' DBs, for whatever reason, decided they wanted to trash talk A.J. Green. Now, if you anybody who knows A.J. Green, he is the quietest person on planet Earth. Incredibly talented, especially at that time. Uh, but he, I mean, he wants no beef with anybody. He's just here to play football, shake hands, say what's up, and move on. And so it, it pissed everybody off, especially in the receiving room. And I remember for that game, we called it up as a receiving unit. And we're like, yo, we're about to show them exactly who A.J. Green is. And so... I think I forget what it was. This is Eli Manning's Giants. We beat the brakes off the New York Giants. We were talking trash. All the receivers were scoring. And again, it was like they had no idea what even our problem was because they had just said it in passing. They didn't think AJ Green was that great. You know, but it was something again we used as motivation and got us over the hump. And people were surprised at the output. But that's that's how much this mental game of motivation plays for professional athletes at that level. Yeah, like we said, this worked for the Jets this week. But offensively, though, it's not like the Jets were perfect or anything. Zach Wilson was still Zach Wilson. He threw an interception, got sacked a few times. The Jets fumbled four times. Like, this whole game was sort of a mess. But it was enough for a messy win over this Denver team. What does that victory mean to Nathaniel Hack and the Jets, who, despite losing Aaron Rodgers, somehow are not dead yet? I think there's a lot of... Uh, uh things playing into what you saw and in, in the, even the narrative between Nathaniel Hackett and the Broncos and the Jets, it, it's really a perfect storm. Number one, you know, Sean Payton makes those comments. And to be quite honest, he, you know, his coaching style, it doesn't really seem it's caught up to the, the new age version of football yet. So I think he's still trying to work that out and figure it out, obviously, you know, having 70 points being put up on his team against the Miami Dolphins in recent in recent weeks. And then you have the Jets, who are also trying to figure out life after Aaron Rodgers. And last week, you saw a glimmer of hope from Zach Wilson. And what that does for the entirety of their team, of giving their defense hope, their special teams hope, to understand, okay, well, we can win these football games because we have a guy now that we feel a little bit more confident in to make some plays. And Zach made some, some, some decent plays today. And also Nathaniel Hackett and Zach Wilson, they're starting to get their chemistry. 
So you have a motivated team around coaches who said certain things in the offseason. You have a motivated defense who now feels like, okay, if we do do what we're supposed to do, our offense has enough in the tank to still get W's. And then you got the Broncos that are obviously still trying to figure it out from every perspective. And it was an incredible game um, for for, for the, the, the Jets fan base to come away with that W and to your point, show that there is still life left in this season. Sorry, we're going to move on to, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, the basement of the NFL, and that is occupied by Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. <laughs> they got shut out at home by the New Orleans Saints. <clears throat> Who that? <clears throat> 34 Mac Jones was benched for Bailey Zappi early in the fourth quarter. Again, you know, he was pulled last week. There's just no sign of life through the first five weeks of the season. And from what you've seen, how much does Bill Belichick have left as head coach of the New England Patriots team? That's a very good question, man. And I, and I don't know. I, I'm trying to figure out if it is Bill Belichick, the coach, or Bill Belichick, the GM, to be honest. Because that's another aspect of that 49ers team and even the Miami team that Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan provide because they followed that blueprint of Bill Belichick. They want to coach the football team, but they also want to have a very, uh, uh, you know, important say-so in the personnel that they are bringing in. And I think for Belichick, you know, defensively, He's always been there. And I think when you luck up, and there's luck to it, to get a six-round pick named Tom Brady, who can fill in the gaps for so long um, in this franchise and this football team, that that is not easy to replace. You know, and you look at Mac Jones, two weeks back-to-back where, you know, he's essentially benched. What Mac Jones does not have the ability to do or has shown um, in consistency is push the ball down the field. And if people aren't scared of you beating them over the top, whether with the throw, whether with the weapons you have on the outside, it shrinks the playbook. It shrinks the opportunities. It allows that that front line and linebackers to pin their earbacks and just go get you, which they've done at a very, very high success rate. So I don't know what this means for the Bill Belichick era. I don't know if it's coaching or it's the fact that his personnel, they just don't have the firepower right now to, to actually be a real threat in the AFC East and obviously beyond that. Right. I mean, but in spite of all that, Bill Belichick's faith in Jones seems to kind of still be there after the game on Sunday. Belichick was asked if Jones was still his top pick under center, and he answered, and I quote, yeah, there are a lot of problems. It certainly wasn't all on him. But Jones' performance on Sunday was terrible. He finished 12-22 for 110 yards, two interceptions against those Saints. Is Belichick right here? Is it not all on Mac Jones? You know, it's hard to decipher when Bill Belichick is telling the truth on what he actually thinks, right? And that's, you know, obviously uh, adds to the mystique and the legend of Coach Belichick. I think from his perspective, it's where do I go from here? Like, what else is there? Is it Bailey Zappi? I'm kind of at the point myself to feel like, well, I think it's worth Bailey Zappi getting his opportunity to start this football team and see if you can provide some spark because that's what you start to really lose with a football team. Once you start to feel like your quarterback doesn't have what it takes to get you over the hump, even when it is close games and situations or, you know, multiple weeks with you providing the defense with touchdowns and points against, it does start to hurt the output of everywhere else. You need for your players to have that confidence in the person commanding the huddle. And so if Bill Belichick is going to continue to ride with Mac Jones and Mac Jones is not going to show any signs of life to provide that spark or that opportunity for this team, then yes, that's when you truly start to question 
the coaching style of or his decision making um, on the sideline for this organization. All right, Hawk, after the break, the steel curtain lowers on Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, now let's turn to Steelers-Ravens in the battle of the AFC North, one of the best rivalries of my lifetime. Baltimore entered the game having beaten both of the other division rivals, and if you didn't see the game, here's a headline. All right, I'm going to try some headline writing here. Pitt steals the W. See what we did there? Capitalized on Lamar Jackson's bad luck. So let's start with the Ravens. Lamar Jackson threw an interception in the red zone. He fumbled the ball in the final two minutes. That led to a Steelers field goal cementing their lead. And look, There's been a lot made about the changes to the Ravens' offense this year, and until Sunday, it seemed like offensive coordinator Todd Munkin's new scheme was working. What went wrong today against Pittsburgh? I think it was the drop passes. I mean, you know, what the stats don't show is there was a solid probably five or six dropped passes that could have been big plays for the Baltimore Ravens or first downs, and that just kills the momentum of this offense. I mean, yeah, late in the game, they had the Lamar Jackson fumble. Um, but also the interception. And that interception was probably the the one throw when you looked at Lamar Jackson's game today where it's like, man, okay, quarterback, you can't. You know, that ball needs to be in another place. Beyond that, there wasn't much help out there offensively. And it just does kill the momentum. It kills um, the consistency of what you're able to do offensively. And it, it allowed the Pittsburgh Steelers to stay in that game because on offense for them, it was the completely opposite story. I mean, they didn't, seemed like they knew which way was up offensively. And we've seen that in other times, but they banded together and they, they figured it out. I mean, it was truly an incredible coaching job, I feel like, by Mark Tomlin, per usual. Yeah, let's talk about that Steelers offense. They were a disaster through the first five games. It seemed like Kenny Pickett's perfect quarterback rating from the preseason was a mirage. But Sunday, we saw the connection between Pickett and his wide receiver, George Pickens. They started to heat up. Pickens had six receptions, a career-high 130 receiving yards, and a receiving touchdown. As a former receiver, what's it feel like to have a day where everything is clicking between you and your quarterback like it was Sunday with Pickens and Pickett? 
Oh, it was amazing. I mean, it, feel, it feels amazing. But I, And I also want people to realize that this is normal. This is normal for a lot of what's not normal is the performances you're seeing in the preseason because this isn't the same preseason as we're used to. Starters and, 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 and players um, who are the important parts of defenses and offenses, they're not playing as much. So you're seeing a lot of fringe guys competing when Kenny Pickett plays really well in the, in the preseason. It does give you a little bit of a false reality versus what's actually going to happen. And once you get to the season, it takes multiple weeks for you to truly build that chemistry for us to see what you're made of. And I think that's what you're seeing from Kenny Pickett and um, George Pickens in this offense is they're truly starting to build that chemistry. And I would say the same thing for the Chicago Bears with Justin Fields and DJ Moore, right? Because they look great in the preseason. Well, now you get in these situations where you don't, you're not clicking offensively. The Ravens have a strong handle on the game. Defense makes a play. Special teams makes a play. And now you have to step up to the plate, right? So pick it, pickings, they make these plays. And this is what you can't learn in the meeting room. This is what you can't learn in the preseason. Putting yourself in a situation where you have to battle back, make the plays for your team to win, that is something that only experience can teach. But once you do experience it, now not only you have the confidence, the rest of your team has the confidence to know of what's possible going forward. And so I think this Pittsburgh Steelers team, if they can slowly start to continue to figure it out offensively, they're going to be scary because we've seen multiple games now where defense and special teams has essentially won the football game for them. And now the offense is starting to slowly catch up, as you saw late in that game against Baltimore. Yeah, it feels like every time these two teams play is chaos, right? You can consider the history between these franchises and specifically the head coaches. It's the 34th meeting between John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin as head coaches, including the postseason. The second most matchups between two coaches in NFL history. And Tomlin walked away with the win on Sunday. So after a tough start to the year, and with questions still remaining about the Steelers' offense, I want to know, like, specifically, what does their outlook look like? I feel like every year we kind of Jedi mind trick ourselves into thinking that the Steelers aren't going to be there um, to lead this division. But here they are sitting at the top of it. And they beat two of the most talented teams in the AFC, just from a player-for-player standpoint, in the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns. we already seen how the Bengals have been struggling. So if they can continue to play at this clip and this offense makes even the slightest improvement, I, I, to be honest, they may be a favorite to win the AFC North, which is crazy because coming into the season, we said this was the, you know, probably the hardest division in the NFL, if not right up there with some of the other divisions. You know, I don't like to bet against Mike Tomlin, but you know, they surprise us every year. I know this game was painful for you to watch. All those drop passes. I was watching the game and thinking about you. I know your hands were up against the TV. Just telling people just to catch the ball. <laughs> but thank you for enduring that game. Thanks for hanging out and breaking down these <laughs> week five games for us. Just thanks overall for joining us. Appreciate it, Dave. I'm David Dennis Jr. This has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.